0: Hey, Sycamore Sycamore View, so good to see those of you here in person. Great to be in this room, worshiping with you. So grateful for all of you joining us online. Please open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 this morning. We're in a series in 2 Corinthians called Ambassadors. Uh, Being representatives of Christ, this morning we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The mission of this church is helping people see Jesus. Our vision is that we want God to use us to help awaken people to the greatness of Christ. So awaken is, we want hearts to be awakened, minds to be awakened, eyes to be awakened, to see Jesus and know Jesus for who he is. For a lot of people in this world are spiritually blind. Either they're spiritually blind because they're choosing not to see, or as we'll see in just a moment, the powers of darkness are at work in this world, to blind the eyes of people to try to keep them from seeing the glory of Christ. Uh, before we go just a little deeper in Second Corinthians chapter 4, uh, I just wanted to thank you for uh, completing the surveys that we sent to you uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we have around 900 people who identify with the Sycamore View Church as their church family. We have around 600 email addresses. So when we send church-wide emails, it goes to about 600 email addresses. For some reason, some of you with newborns and young babies, they don't have emails yet, all right? Of those 600 emails that we sent out, we had 250 of you who submitted responses. That's pretty good. Of those 250 who completed the survey, 70 of you also added comments that you wanted the leaders of this church to read. And we've seen the results. We've read all the comments. I've read all the comments uh, from you and just wanted to thank you for, for doing that. Here in just a few years we're going to turn 50 years old as a church. In 2028 we're going to turn 50. And a few things we want to do over the next few years is, one, we want to celebrate really well. So here in the next few months you're going to hear some initiatives of how we want to be really good storytellers of what God has done and how God has used people and events and ministries to help us and others see Christ. What we also want to do over the next few years is for us to reflect well and to discern with God of what the next 50 years in the life of Sycamore View is going to look like. So you completing surveys like what you did is very helpful to us. In the next couple of weeks, on a Sunday morning, we're going to just take a few moments to reveal some of those results to you here down the road in a few weeks we're going to create an environment outside of the Sunday morning worship experience for us to elaborate on that just a little more and we will continue to invite you into discerning as we just we're trying to follow God into what a new 50 years can look like so I'm excited about what these next 50 years will look like for our church one thing I know is this That in the history of the Sycamore View Church, service is deep in our DNA. Like it is lodged in our DNA. So today is what we call a restore day where uh, hopefully most of you were aware this was happening today. That there have been service projects early this morning. There have been service projects going on. There'll be service projects going on after church today. If you would like to jump in one, you're welcome to. And what we do every once in a while is we have a day like this where there's a collective effort for us to serve together. Not that this is the only time we serve. We want service to be like just a part of the life we live, but it is really good. It's a unifying effort for there to be days where we're like, hey, we need to remind each other we're in this together, we're doing this together. So I want to use 2 Corinthians 4 just for a few moments, a few minutes, to help frame what this day is like. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. If you have your Bibles, it says this right here. But we have this treasure in clay jars so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. So this is Second Corinthians chapter four, verse seven. In our house, we have this clay bowl that sits. It's uh, I think Casey got it from the bell tower. We just opened a second location at Shelby Farms. Just a little uh, unpaid ad. All right. There's a clay jar that we keep, and Casey likes keeping a bowl, close, to the, usually in our kitchen or close to wherever our front doors have been, that it's a bowl where she prefers for us to unload our pockets, like when we come home, in a bowl so that throughout our house there's not keys end up in one place and, you know, a bill fold or a money clip somewhere else, that there's a bowl that houses that. This is where we keep a few ordinary things. So keys may go in here occasionally, my money clip, pens, pencils, Sometimes there's like spare change, fingernail clippers, you know, things like this end up in this bowl. But there are some things we do not keep in this bowl. We don't keep social security cards in this bowl. Or passports, or our marriage license, or birth certificates, or checkbooks. And just for some of you, a checkbook is a thing that the bank has given you in the past, little pieces of paper, you can rip them out. It's, it, just go Google it, YouTube it, what's a checkbook, it'll show you, all right? We keep ordinary things in this, not treasures in this. So in the first century culture, almost everybody would have had some clay bowls, some like jars of clay that they kept in their house for ordinary purposes, not to place treasures in. They were pretty cheap. No matter how much money you made, you probably had these. They would be in the, like as soon as you walked through your door, they would be there. And it kept the ordinary things, not treasures. Because a bowl like this is fragile, and it's imperfect, and it's weak. I mean, right now, even though I have carpet underneath me, if I were to drop this bowl, there's a chance that it could chip, it could break. Where's Truett? Truett, where are you? All right, we practiced this earlier, all right? Stand up, you ready? All right? Because, you know, I mean, if you catch this, we're good. If you drop this, it could hurt everybody else around you, right? Do you think you really could catch this bowl if I tossed it to you? No? All right, good. All right. Some of you are like, "Is he really gonna throw that?" You're like, "Our preacher's crazy." But is he that crazy? He couldn't throw it that far. <laughs> kip, Kip, Kip Long. Yeah, kip. Oh, it's your bowl. Sorry, baby. I wouldn't do that to your bowl. All right. All right. <laughs> Something like this. They're weak. They're fragile. They're imperfect, much like us. So listen to what Paul. I mean, just look at the screen. If you're able to see the screen right now, I mean, basically Paul is saying, "Hey, we're like these clay jars." And God has chosen to place a treasure in them, not just ordinary things. God in his goodness, the creator of the world, has chosen to place a treasure in clay jars. And we're like clay jars. We're weak. We're we're imperfect. We're fragile. We can easily break. But even though we can break, the treasure inside of us can't break. And sometimes it's the treasure inside of us that puts us back together when we break. And God in his goodness has done... This is a gift from God that he has trusted inside of us to place a treasure. We don't earn this. We can't buy this. The treasure God has placed in us is the light and the life of Christ. It's the good news of Jesus that God has placed in us to carry and to hold. What does this say about God? And what does it say about us when we fail to take seriously that the God of the universe has chosen to place a treasure inside of us. Something fairly ordinary, but it means so much to God. Now, remember, Paul's writing to the churches of Corinth. The churches of Corinth, they're divided. There's all kind of disunity. There are all kind of things disrupting the body there. And 2 Corinthians, a lot of it is Paul defending his ministry, not because Paul is overly sensitive, but because he's been attacked and he's been accused of all kinds of things. So in a way, when you read that in chapter four, verse seven, Paul's speaking autobiographically about his own life, that he is weak and he's imperfect, yet God has placed his treasure inside of him, just like God has done for all of us. Now for Paul, there's a lot of sadness in Second Corinthians because like few things dishearten us more than being accused by people we've tried to help. Like few things can like disrupt our heart more. Then when there are people we've tried to befriend, and we've come alongside, and we've helped them, and we have served them, and then we begin to get accused, or our character is attacked by them. And last week, I had this phrase in my sermon, and I didn't know the phrase would have the impact it did, but it was this, that when competence is questioned, confidence can be shaken. Then when our competence in life is questioned, our confidence can be shaken. And it comes straight from Second Corinthians 3, verses 4 through 6, which in a way, like I think Paul was feeling that. And in a way, I feel that every single week in my job and in my leadership, that there are a couple of hours, not days, every week where I question my competence. And when I allow myself to do this, my confidence is shaken. And usually it's my mind, like just going crazy on myself. But you may, you may experience this sometimes in your life too. And I think Paul's like speaking autobiographically. So then in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where you get this verse 7 about jars of clay and this treasure, you also get this. And you go ahead and go to this next slide. In verse 1 and in verse 16, you get the same exact phrase. It is said the same exact way. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, there is not a verse in the Bible that I pray over our staff and our leaders more than 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. That by the mercy of God, since we are engaged in this ministry, we do not lose heart. And again in verse 16, Paul comes back to the exact same phrase, we do not lose heart. That even though we are like these clay jars that are fragile and weak and imperfect, and God has placed a treasure in them, even though there are so many things in life happening trying to get us to lose heart, we don't lose heart. So turn to your neighbor right now and say, don't lose heart. All right, turn to your neighbor and say, if you're losing heart, don't lose heart. If you're losing heart, don't lose heart. All right, come back to me. Come back to me, all right? Because this right here, what you see on the screen, of not losing heart, this needs to be something you hold close to your heart, close to your prayers. And this is something today as a church we need to declare over a lot of different things in our lives. That we do not lose heart when it comes to, and just you could just fill in the blank today. Don't lose heart when it comes to sickness and disease. Don't lose heart when it comes to cancer. Do not lose heart when you think about the stress of your job. Don't lose heart when it comes to relational hurt that you have experienced in your life. Don't lose heart because of unmet or unfulfilled dreams. Don't lose heart because of addiction, anxiety, or depression. Like, don't, don't lose heart. Because one thing Paul's writing in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, is there are a lot of things in life that are going to try to break you and knock you down, but with this treasure inside of us, we may get knocked down in life, but we're not going to get knocked out in life. What Paul's trying to remind the church of is even though there are a lot of moments where we are fragile and we are weak, the treasure God has placed inside of us is what will continue to put us back together, and God's trusted us with this. Now, there's some leaders, and they've talked recently about uh, how, you know, part of being a leader is you are a CRO. You're the chief reminding officer. And for many of us, is in your life. or parents, this is a big part of who you are. You are a chief reminding officer. We remind people of who we are. And as Paul writes 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, he's using a lot of different images and metaphors to try to remind people of who they are. You're jars of clay. You're ambassadors of Christ. Like this, stuff like this. And Paul talks more about baptism and Lord's Supper than he does everywhere else to remind the church this is who you are in Christ. I think one of the best ways to think about baptism is enlistment. The baptism isn't just about the change of status. It's that you are being enlisted into a movement. And as we are enlisted into a movement, there is responsibility that we have been given by God. I think one of the best ways to think about baptism, it's not a finish line. It's the starting line. If there's a race to be run, there's a journey that you're on. And on this journey, God gives us responsibility. So there are commands that come from Jesus to believers in Jesus. Commands like make disciples of all nations. Commands like love your enemies. Commands like love your neighbors. These are not suggestions when it comes to Jesus. These are commands. So when it comes to living a life of service, this isn't just suggestions from Jesus. These are commands from Jesus. So on a day like Restore Day it's good for us to have this collective effort that we serve the world together. And hopefully in serving the world together, some of the things we will learn today in some of these projects is, some of the things we do today, it's really not that hard. Like God is opening these doors for us every day of our lives. So maybe today for you will be a day that God is just opening up your eyes to how we can use the ordinary moments for kingdom significance in the world. And these aren't gonna be up on the screen, but I just wanna place three verses in front of you real quick in 2 Corinthians 4. And if you have your Bibles open, you will see them. In chapter 4, verse 4, uh, the image that Paul uses is that the enemy, and the Bible uses different terms that call, you know, sometimes it's Satan or the devil or the adversary. But in chapter 4, verse 4, is that the powers of darkness are at work in this world to blind the eyes of unbelievers. So there are forces at work in the world that keep eyes from seeing Jesus for who he is. But the mission of our church is what? Helping people, see Helping people see Jesus. That maybe by the way we serve today or that we serve in our lives, it will be the force that is needed in the people's lives who are blind to what God is doing so that they may see the glory of God in the face of Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, it's not on the screen, but in your Bibles, What it says, what Paul says is God said this in the very beginning. Let there be light out of darkness. Which is interesting because in Genesis chapter 1, this isn't what God said. It's Paul's interpretation of what God said or maybe what God meant. That in Genesis 1-3, all God says is let there be light. The way Paul interprets that is what God says is let there be light that comes out of darkness. I think Paul is trying to shape the mission of the church when he makes statements like this. That for the light of God to come out of darkness means that the light of God is not intimidated by darkness. Therefore, the church's goal is not just to, how do we stay away from darkness, but how do we penetrate dark places in the world to shine the light of Christ? And today, God may do this through Hope Works, through Agape, through some of our strategic partners or through ways we serve today. That that light may break into dark places because of how we engage the world. And if God's not intimidated by darkness, then we should know God's also placing bravery and courage in the church to shine light into dark places. In Second Corinthians chapter four and verse 10, it says that we always carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be made visible. So what it means to carry around the death of Christ is that we embody a life of service and sacrifice, not because we are incompetent, because we are so confident in what Jesus has done for us and the life he has called us into. And with that confidence, we take on a life of sacrifice and service. And through that, Jesus is made visible to people. So today, as we serve throughout our lives as we serve. It may just be what people around us need for them to see who Jesus is and what Jesus is offering them in their life. And if you will, go, to the, go two slides from now, if you will, to that last slide. And I want you to see verse 14 and 15. It said, we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and will bring us with you into his presence. And yes, everything is for your sake, and I, I just, I love this imagery, so that grace is it extends to more and more people. Like, who doesn't want that? Like, I, I mean, this is, think about the responsibility of the treasure placed inside of us. This is what we do, that grace may extend to more and more people, and that it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So I want this to stay up here as we reflect in communion, and I There's a story I've told multiple times in this church. It's one of my favorite ways to think about communion. Barbara Brown Taylor has been a professor, was a professor at Columbia University for a number of years. She's also a theologian, a great preacher and speaker, proclaimer of the word. And she talks about communion in one of her books. And one thing she says is she's always, even though she's never done this, she's always waited for the day that there would be a church that would take the bread and the cup And instead of taking it inside of a church, that they would go to the sidewalk of the church and they would set up a table. And she even paints the image of they would clean up the trash and clean up the beer bottles, set up a table, set up the bread and the cup, and then take the bread and the cup with eyes open to see the community around them, to see the cars driving by, to hear the noises, to see the people. And to take the bread and the cup, being reminded of both what Jesus has done, but also what Jesus is calling his church to be in the world. There are times we take the bread and the cup, and we take it with our eyes closed. And we reflect. And it's not because the Bible tells us to take communion this way, but it helps us when it comes to reflecting on what Jesus has done. And there are times we take the bread and the cup, and we do it with our eyes open. And sometimes it helps remind us of what God is doing around us, and the unity around us, and the mission of God. And today, whether you choose to close your eyes or open your eyes or go to a table or not, as we take the bread and the cup, may we remember that God looks at our heart and God looks at the community around us through what Jesus has done.